I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your author of the Thoughts on Money blog and your host of the Thoughts on Money podcast. We are going to do a first-timer thing. To, is it a first-timer thing? Is that the way I say it? I, I don't so. know. This yeah. is going to be the first time we do this. We're going to have four people on this podcast, so uh, ready for chaos. We have Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello, hello. And Mr. Drew Dill. Hello. And, of course, my favorite, Miss Leslie Ray. <laughs> thank you. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Oh, Sean thank you. didn't say it. That's right. I want to leave it for someone else. And I don't think it's the first time there's been four people on a podcast. It's the first time f- we've done it. I think... So this is not the first time in history that a podcast had four people. <laughs> I just want to clarify. This is the first time on Thoughts of Money we had four people. And today we're going to talk about an article I wrote called An Inflation Irritation. And there is no cream for that, Sean, an inflation irritation. No cream. No cream. So the reason we're talking about this today, it's not an article I, I, I really wanted to write, but there's just so many questions that our clients are asking right now about inflation. And the reason they're asking these questions is because go to any financial news and there's headlines about inflation. And the headlines make you feel scared and make you feel like, hey, we're getting in a time machine going back to 1970. And there's this concern about stagflation and uh, what that meant in past generations and what that means to your portfolio today. So because of that reason, we have to talk about it. But the real question that people have is the question they want answered is, what can I do about my portfolio to protect myself against inflation? And on this podcast, not yet, but we're going to talk about the answer to that question. Um, but I'm going to start out with a, a little analogy that I made. Sean and I, we used to work in the fitness industry. Woo. And uh, we talk about that a lot on this podcast. <laughs> Apparently. Because uh, we don't have much uh, life experience. We basically uh, went to school, worked at a gym, and then switched over to the finance industry. That's about our life summed up, uh, the biography of Sean and Trevor. Yeah. Anyway, um, one thing that we both kind of laugh about is when you work in the fitness industry, uh, every time you meet somebody that's coming in with some sort of fitness goal, uh, they're always looking for what we call the magic pill. They're looking for the easy way to lose weight and keep it off. And uh, unfortunately, we had to tell people there was no magic pill. And when they said, what is the secret to success? We had to say, uh, eat less and move more. And people didn't like that answer. Why? Because it was work. Why? Because it was maybe too simple. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't uh, unknown. It was... um, Uncomfortable. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. That's a good way to put it. But for that reason, that's why the fitness industry has fads. The South Beach diet, CrossFit jazzercise, whatever it is, things come in and out of favor. One, because people have different appetites for the type of fitness they like to do. But secondly, because people are looking for that shortcut. So how does that relate to today's conversation? Well, when you ask what's the best hedge against inflation, it's stocks. Um, It's not something, uh, an esoteric derivatives portfolio that you might not understand that I have to explain to you. It's not gold. It's not bonds. It's not cash. The answer is stocks. So if you're wondering if your portfolio is equipped for inflation, where should you look? Yeah, it makes sense, too, because uh, I think people do want to find the sexy, exciting thing that sounds complex, and that must be the answer, but it's not. And the reason why I use the word uncomfortable is because being in stock sometimes is uncomfortable. But even though um, that is going to help you solve the problem for inflation, the, I think one problem, too, is a lot of people, what they, the reason they worry about inflation is obviously it's talked about a lot right now. And when they look it up and they say, maybe they Google, how does inflation impact total return or investment portfolio? Well, the first thing they learn is you take your total return, you subtract any taxes or inflation, and that gives you your real return. 
And if they've been told this whole time they need a 4 or 5% return to be successful in their plan, and they start subtracting out what they read in a headline, we could see double-digit inflation. They go, oh my gosh, I'm going to run out of money. And so they think they need to go change things. Drew, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, to piggyback on both of what you guys are saying, I think the human it's, it's in our human nature to always want a quick and easy fix. And I, I kind of want to pull on this thread a little bit more on why would you guys say stocks are the uncomfortable option? I understand the gym illustration, Trevor, when you say to somebody at the gym, sorry to use a gym illustration again, but if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I want to lose 20 pounds and you say eat less, move more, they don't like that answer because it involves hard work. But why would you? Why would stocks be the equivalent of that hard work? Um, what would you guys say? What, what is so uncomfortable about stocks? Would you uh, attribute it to the volatility? of the stocks or the unknown of what stocks are? And, and you know, how would you guys uh, unpack that? Yeah. So if I tell you right now, Drew, to jump on a treadmill and I'm going to put it on level 10 or however you describe that, and I want you to run for 45 minutes, what's your concern? I can't do it. Yeah. Maybe endurance, right? Um, because maybe your heart isn't in shape to be able to do that. Uh, it isn't our physical fitness that gets us in trouble with our finances. It's our emotional fitness. So one thing that I give an example is that if you were a buyer of stocks in October of 2007 and you close your eyes and one year later you opened your account statement, you saw you were down 37%. That is uncomfortable. That's going to take emotional endurance. And in the article, I went and said, hey, what did two years look like? What did five years look like? What did 10 years look like? And I kind of made a joke in the article, but I was being serious. Our cryptocurrency brethren might have it right. They have this adage that says, HODL, uh, hold on for dear life. And I'm not a cryptocurrency investor, but I'm going to say, as catchy or funny that little saying is, it's right. Um, sometimes, uh, because of our emotions, when we buy stocks, we have to hold on for dear life. Yeah, I agree. It's a link to emotions. And we talked about inflation in a different um, aspects of it in a financial plan. But I think for people that are not really familiar of how this is calculated, can you go back to how suddenly people come out with uh, an inflation higher than it was? And what does that mean exactly? Can you just talk to uh, talk to the readers or the, the listeners about how that is uh, calculated and why people are suddenly very, or like the news media are suddenly all around inflation when they were not talking about it few months ago? I think that's a great question. And going back to our fitness analogies, because we haven't used enough yet, um, is think about when somebody starts working out, they have a before and after photo. Why do they do that? They need to juxtapose two things against each other. We can only measure something when we have a comparison, right? So when you're seeing publications of what inflation is this month, what are you seeing compared over last month, last year? And was there something unique about last year? I'd say so, right? Mm -hmm. It was a, a year that I could have never imagined where the economy was completely shut down, where we were all kind of on house arrest. So do you think if you juxtapose that physical photo against what's happening today that they're going to look a lot different? Absolutely, they're going to look a lot different. And what people make a mistake of is the, the news needs clickbait. It needs you to click on that article. So it has to have something that is going to kind of, whether it's pique your interest or pique your fear or whatever, to get you to click and read more and understand. But if you slow down, 
you can't really project that into the future that in perpetuity we're going to experience this type of inflation. And the problem is, I don't think it's done. I, I think you're going to look at last year where everything was shut down, going back to emotions. There's got to be this pent up demand. I know our family wants to go to the movie theaters. I know that we want to go out to restaurants and we want to do those things. And that's not unique to us. So you're going to tell me that that's not going to impact inflation. It is like our economy is trying to find its footing on balancing this whole idea of what does supply and demand look like today. And it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, this isn't going to go away. This is going to be a talking point until there's something more interesting to talk about. Actually, until there's another way that the media can hold on to something that is um, the topic du jour. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good point. Probably until year-end we'll hear about it here and there, but it's compared to last year, and last year was highly unusual. So it's hard to have that as a comparison element to make up. Uh, if you're taking inflation to, for example, run a financial plan, you can't really uh, rely on what it is right now. You have to have a historical average, and for that reason, because it changes and it's not consistent. Okay, this is going to be funny, but I'm, I'm going to kind of be serious here. Um <laughs> If somebody showed you, if somebody was pitching you on the idea of this fitness program they did, and they show you one photo last year when they were pregnant, and then another photo this year after they've had the baby, aren't you going to be like, well, there's some context <laughs> here that that bump you had wasn't so much weight you needed to lose. You were pregnant, right? So I think context matters. And I think in the inflation conversation, I quoted David Bonson here where he provides that context, but most media are not doing that right now. I mean, David mentions in here that they saw a big spike in used car sales. And I read an article in Bloomberg that talked about how uh, a lot of uh, rent-a-car places were actually buying those used cars. And that was an attribution to that spike. So sometimes you have to go deeper than the numbers to find out what's driving that. Yeah, that makes sense. We've talked about it on a different podcast, too, how there's different parts of the market that will see different types of inflation. So I think it's really important for not only people to kind of dig into the details if they are truly concerned about it, but also keep in mind that because certain things might be more expensive in the future, it may not impact them. That's a good point. And remember, in David's quote, he mentions the biggest price movers in the month were cars, trucks, hotels, and airfare. There were no hotels and airfare last year. Everyone was on house arrest. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, I think one one thing as well that just I think we're doing a good job of coloring in additional context to help people understand that there's a lot of nuance in this conversation rather than the doom and gloom apocalyptic tweets. Um, and I think one thing to keep in mind, too, is that there's three sectors in our economy that are always pretty heavily inflated, right, would be healthcare, education, um, child care and child care. There's another one I'm missing, Trevor. What is it? I don't know. Healthcare, education. I'm just scared you're going to take us into a political conversation right now. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say that there's three sectors that we have that we see consistent inflation um, that the clickbait media has not honed in on for a very long time. When healthcare has been heavily inflated over the last ten years, um, in an extreme education. fashion, ed- education, yep. college tuition. Um, things like that. These are inflation. Uh, these are topics that have been heavily inflated or uh, sectors of the economy that have been heavily inflated for long periods of time. And yet you you hear crickets, right? You know, what's interesting, too. I just kind of thought of this as we were talking about uh, used car sales and things like that. You're right. If we're comparing a snapshot from last year to this year, we have to factor in the behavioral differences, too, because when people thought it was the end of the world and they were stuck at home for a month, 
they were probably not going out and buying things like a used a new car, used car, or something like that. It was just toilet paper inflation. That's right. So if you really think about it, it's probably a little bit about just making up for last year where maybe they put off those expenses. And now that they think things are better, things are opening up, now's the time I'm going to go do it. Where it's not necessarily a huge increase, it's just a difference. Uh, it moved from the 2020 balance sheet to the 2021 balance sheet. Yeah, and this, what I'm about to say is very anecdotal, but um, just out of curiosity, I looked back at our credit card statements because that gives us um, kind of a good idea on spending and cash flow and things like that. And in that March and April and May moment of last year, we were spending like 30 to 35% less than we normally did. And it wasn't intentional. Um, It was just circumstantial because of the world we were living in. And at that moment, I remember telling my wife, Nicole, I said, man, this is gonna, obviously it was gonna have an impact, right? That wasn't the thing I was saying, but I was just saying, wow, the, the collateral damage that this causes is, I don't think a lot of people were thinking about. And David wrote multiple articles talking about, uh, big businesses to go back to work in New York because of the impact that it would have on the shoe shiner down the street or the food truck or whatever it might be because we have an ecosystem where in one sense or another everybody depends on each other. Yes, it's true and it's the same for here. I remember uh, looking at small businesses, the coffee shop downstairs closed, it's still closed. It's been closed for a year. Yeah, here in Newport Um, Beach. Not enough demand here and it's a it's sad to see how it impacted the restoration industry or yeah, restaurant industry and uh, small businesses the most, um, which made realize a lot of people realize they need help with their investments, planning, and um, be prepared for those circumstances that are uh, hard to prepare for. Yeah, and we'll pivot the conversation a little bit because what I really wanted the nucleus of this article to be about uh, was less about inflation because it's a topic that we had talked about recently. And, you know, it's not the most exciting topic to talk about. But what I really want to focus on is how do you answer that question? Because you're going to get it a lot is what are we doing in our portfolio to prepare for inflation? And you you mentioned in the article, but the answer is stocks. And I, I think that that's uh, not talked about enough, because if you are watching a commercial that's talking about inflation and is uh, has someone, I don't know, like a famous actor selling you gold and telling you this will protect your savings, as a consumer, it'd be pretty easy to think, well, that's what I should be doing to protect about inflation. I've heard inflation 15 times this week. I've read it here. I've read it there. Everyone's talking about it. Am I a fool for not making this decision and buying gold? But you have to also remember that it's an advertisement. And at the end of the day, if there is inflation and things cost more in the future, ultimately businesses will charge more for their services, which will increase their earnings, which is actually the best way to combat inflation. Yeah. And the other thing with that, I'm glad you brought that up, is that sometimes we get married to these adages or statements or beliefs that aren't even true, right? If somebody comes to you and says, I bought gold because it's a great hedge against inflation, that is a common misnomer in, in our industry. And the question you go back to them with is, hey, are there decades where it wasn't a good hedge against inflation? Uh, are, are the correlations as strong as you believe? And you go into the data, it's not true. Gold is not a great hedge against inflation. I put it in this uh, article on purpose. Go take a financial exam. Uh, If you want to get licensed for uh, your Series 7 or whatever, you're going to have these questions. What is the best hedge against inflation? A, bonds, B, cash, C, stocks, D, gold. It's not gold. It's not the answer. It's stocks. And I know that clients don't get excited about that answer because maybe they already own some stocks. I know they don't get excited about that answer because they experienced 2008. 
But in reality, why is that the answer? Because what is inflation? The price of goods and services is going up. Businesses sell goods and services. It has a positive correlation with their top line sales. There, You are on the right side of the table if you're buying stocks. Now, this isn't an advocation to add stocks to your portfolio or to change the mix. You need to meet with your advisor and you need to figure out what uh, is the best allocation for your particular financial plan. But the point that I'm making is that the solution or tool that you need might already be in your back pocket. I have a, a question that is what was not addressed in this part and it's more for you because I take care of the financial planning for the group and I don't really do the investment design for the group. So what do you think of real estate? Um, some people may say stocks and maybe some real estate. As some of you may know, I own a few properties. Uh, I, we uh, do know. I'll start and then I'll let Trevor pick it up from there. But uh I think especially being in Southern California, there's been a lot of wealth creation in real estate, whether it's the development side or even residential real estate. And I think the answer for a long time was, oh, I have a lot of, uh, I don't want to say eggs in one basket, but I have a lot of my net worth in real estate because it can't go down. And I've heard that multiple times from people. And it is difficult to think of a scenario where, you know, there's a huge market correction. That's why it's unforeseen. Same thing in real estate market. Then we look at last year, COVID 2020. I don't think anyone imagined something where renters wouldn't have to pay rent and it was okay. And then they sat there and landlords recalculate their cap rate and they go, oh, wow, I had to cover these maintenance expenses. I didn't get any rent for this year. Wow, it was a really bad investment for this year. Now, to answer your question, does it make sense for clients that still in real estate? Yes. But I don't necessarily mean, I think that is the end all be all. I think it's important to have a balanced allocation where there isn't concentration risk in one place at all. Yeah, I think you can go back historically and you can look at real estate as saying, hey, do real assets provide a hedge against inflation? And I think the answer is yes. But I I actually will take a different angle is when I'm talking about stocks, because that's the word we're using, right? What am I actually talking about? I'm talking about companies. I'm talking about businesses. You, Leslie, you own a business. Mm -hmm. You're a landlord. That is a business owner. So it kind of I already gave you the answer is I say that businesses are on the right side of the equation when you experience inflation. Um, but Drew is also very right that different sectors uh, or different industries can have uh, a different uh, experience with inflation, right? You can see the prices we've talked about in the past of a flat screen television go down 90% over the last 10 <laughs> years, and that's going to look different, right? So um, all of that and those variables could factor into rent and things like that. But uh I, I, I'll, I'll tangent a little bit and just say when a client is going to go out and buy real estate, I always tell them as long as you know you're starting a business and they're like, look at me kind of confused. Like, what do, what do you mean I'm starting a business? If you're going to buy real estate and you're going to be a landlord, you're starting a business. As you know, most businesses fail. So you should walk into it with not anxiety, not fear, but you should be prepared. You should make sure that you cross all your T's and dot all your I's. I mean, I was looking for rental properties across the U.S. and uh, doing some research on, on things that I'd want to buy. But kind of one of the reasons I bowed out is I wasn't ready to be a business owner. Um, I have a lot of stress in my life already, and I wasn't ready to take on another responsibility. And I think um, to Sean's point, we've seen so much wealth creation around us from um, parents or grandparents that have acquired real estate in an environment where interest rates have dropped, which causes a little bit of a tailwind and a benefit, that it makes us feel like it's easy. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, when investing feels easy, you should be concerned. Um, when you're buying cryptocurrency and it feels like you can't fail, you should be concerned. That's not how investing works. So if you walk into being a landlord or a business owner thinking that it's just going to be a walk in the park, uh, life will probably teach you differently. Yeah, and how much of the the stories that you guys are bringing up of people who have generated a lot of wealth creation by real estate, um, grandparents and so forth, parents, how much of that also has to factor in the, the place and where you're buying? So a lot of wealth creation has happened with people who bought in San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, Orange County, because the market here is limited because of the space, land, and other factors, which means the prices here are definitely better, I think, on a scale than the rest of the country, which means that people who bought in particular areas generate a lot of wealth, right, for their homes. But if you're going to buy in Mississippi, Alabama, right, the cap rates are probably different. The the, the wealth that you're going to create from that land is going to look a lot different than if you have a buy and sell in Newport Beach for 20 years. That's a really good point, because when you do see, you know, markets like 2008, 2009, where the real estate market was impacted heavily, but then you break it down to different ge- geographical areas. You look at Newport Beach on the coast. It was not impacted as much as uh, Vegas or Nevada or Arizona. Location. So, absolutely. But Isn't there's two saying? things here. Location, location, location. <laughs> yeah, but it is two things. There is a wealth creation through your primary residence that you buy somewhere for $200,000. I actually I met a lady that bought her grandma's cottage on Balboa Island like years ago for fifty thousand dollar i think and now it's worth millions and but she lives there that's her primary residence and then you have rental properties where like trevor is saying it's a business you have to do your research and get educated do your analysis is does it cash flow does it not cash flow if it doesn't cash flow might be not might not be a great plan for rental property right leslie question for you not to put you on the spot but uh when you were looking into acquiring a rental property, did you kind of pencil out worst case scenario if you couldn't rent it out or yes. what, like a backup plan? Mm-hmm. So all of my... Uh, I you own... better have your financial plan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you should have a plan Z. I have worst case scenario. We calculated everything and uh, we made sure we're not over leveraged. And if something happened, we can cover mortgages and expenses. And this is why we have some cash reserves as well, even though... Cash it might not be uh, an asset that people want to own a, a lot of cash in, but you need cash reserves when you own real estate for those reasons. And um, we don't own any in California because the numbers don't really pencil out that well. Well, and it's also, you got to remember, and man, we've gone off on a real tangent yeah, here. Yes. But the uh, <laughs> thing that Drew brought up is that the experience of how a property can appreciate is very different. But also, you got to remember is that some stocks that you buy might be high in income production and low in expected appreciation. Other stocks might be no income and high in appreciation. If we go back to that original equation, total return equals appreciation plus income, that applies to stocks and it applies to real estate. So you might find some areas in flyover country where the cap rates are through the roof. But the implied expectation there is that you're not going to get that same appreciation as you might get on coastal properties where there is high demand and limited supply. But I guess that relates to inflation a little that bit. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that was a good segue. You brought it right back. Yeah, I did. So um, ultimately, kind of what I wanted our readers to get from today um, and our listeners is 
the three of us, I think you were there, Sean and Leslie, we discussed inflation. I put a link to the article that says you really shouldn't focus on national averages. You should really look at what your personal inflation is. And in that article, we made that analogy that you don't get dressed in the morning for average weather. You get dressed in the morning for the weather in the city you're living in. And that's really important for people to remember because all of this inflation conversation is about averages. Uh, it's not about your personal situation. And everything should come back to your personal situation. And if your question is, hey, what am I doing to potentially protect myself? Which is a great question. There's a concern out there that they're saying applies to all Americans. You want to know if you're equipped. Totally good question. And the answer is to owning businesses. Owning businesses, whether those businesses are real estate or whether those businesses sell shampoo. Um, being on the same side of inflation creates a big benefit for you. And the last thing I'll say is just remember, media is media, and they are there to make you concerned and fearful and to bait you into reading more of uh, what they're producing. And I kind of make this joke sometimes, but um, if you're a fish in the water and you see that food on the hook, the food is tasty. It is food, but you don't want to eat it. So you just got to be careful for what you're digesting and how much of it you are digesting. Um, with that, I will kind of do a roundtable and go for final thoughts if you guys have anything you want to add. Nope, I'm all set. Not out here. I'll talk more about real estate and Airbnb, but I don't think you guys want to hear it right now. <laughs> so come next time to hear more from Leslie on real estate and Airbnb and every experience that she's had and how she's managing a, an amazing business and side hustle. Um, with that said, uh, we would ask that you rate the podcast five stars as preferred. Comments are welcome. You can email any of us at tom at thebonsagroup.com. We appreciate your feedback, um, any ideas that you want for future discussions. And of course, we will be back next week with more of our thoughts on money. Jump, guys. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.